Welcome to the Corporate Legal Ops Consortium podcast, where we dive deep into conversations with technology and legal ops thought leaders from across the ecosystem. This is Clock Talk. I'm your host, Jen McCarran. I'm on the board of directors at Clock, and I lead the Netflix legal operations and technology team. On this episode, we're headed to the podcast lounge at Clock's 2023 EMEA Summit in London. I'm joined by guest Alex Kelly, co-founder and COO of Bright Flag and host of their podcast, In-House Outliers. I love having other podcasters on Clock Talk. I get to pick their brains on trends they see across all the conversations they're having. It's a bit of a legal ops podcaster state of the state address for me. In addition to talking about the explosion of podcasts in the legal sector, we did it. We get into AI a little bit. We had to. The topic was filling the airwaves in London. Hope you enjoy. How are things? How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Yeah, it's been a busy few months. Uh, I had a few weeks holiday in August. Amazing. Like it's kind of all guns blazing now to the end of the year. Glad to be back in London at another clock of Mia. It's a fun time of year. I think we're in financial planning season for many legal ops teams. It is that time of yeah. year. It is headcount and budgets. Headcount and budgets. And yeah, for us at Bright Flag, that's always interesting with our clients and making sure they've got the data they need to kind of justify their investments, their headcount, planning for next year, get as predictable as they can about what's going to happen which is tricky at the moment, right? I was going to say, what are you hearing? Is it as tricky out there as some of us know it to be in here? Yeah, it's funny. I was just talking to somebody about this. We are a clock of me, right? It feels like there may be slightly greater economic headwinds in Europe still than there are maybe in the US. Okay. Something that I think we're seeing a little bit of that maybe the US is kind of getting back into gear a little bit quicker. But What's amazing in the legal world, obviously, is it's not like the law firm rates are reducing by 30% or the demand for legal services is falling off a cliff. No, Uh, nothing in the world is reducing in price. Something in life went up significantly recently. I'm like, okay, inflation there too. So law firm pricing is going to go up with markets being what they are and inflation and everything. Exactly. And, And I think when you've got that kind of combination of factors of a CFO telling the GC and how to legal ops, you've got to control this budget or you've got to kind of keep it where it was last year. And you're seeing an increased demand for legal services because legal teams are grappling with generative AI and the whole yeah. business is trying to figure that out or new privacy regulations, whatever it may be. And your law firms are trying to increase their rates by five or 10%. That's a, a tricky Tricky set of factors to balance. Tricky set of factors to balance. It makes the work very fun to try to balance it all. How's the podcast going? Podcast is going great. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's hard to believe. In-house yeah. outliers. Podcast. In-house outliers. I think we're just about to cross the hundred guest milestone. Wow. Congrats. Selfishly, it's just been such a huge learning experience. Yeah. I can't articulate the lessons I've taken from the conversations with legal ops leaders, in-house lawyers, people at an earlier stage in their legal ops yeah. career. Obviously, people like yourself who've been kind to give their time. And it's hugely instructive, I think, in terms of the variety of backgrounds that that have made their way into legal ops, the different approaches people are taking and still being successful. Sure. And just the increased opportunity that now exists in terms of the types of role that people are doing, the yes. areas they're focusing on. I think one of the consequences of 
increased regulation, new issues that are kind of falling onto the desk of the chief legal officer or the GC, like ESG or obviously privacy was something a little bit before that, or now generative AI is, I think all of this creates opportunity for legal apps. Yeah. And it's these incredibly talented people like yourselves who are just great at being given a problem to solve and trying to identify what is the most effective way to solve this in the most efficient way that delivers the best outcome for the business. And I think that's not going away anytime soon. There's more and more things that are are being put on the desks of GCs and legal ops teams as a consequence. Yeah. And all those legal practice areas want automation, more automation, their workflows to move, to capture data and move better. And I think when you're saying privacy, I, I literally think of the privacy group and practice area and the tools they need. And sometimes we're so busy focused on our one to three things and legal ops we set out to do. I can't even get to the other practice yep. areas. Lift up the rock of CLM and flip that over and you're buried for five years, at least trying to get that right and get the data right and get the data and the workflows moving. So hang in there, privacy. We'll be back one day to help you again. I think that's so true. Like what's remarkable is obviously there's so many companies creating the legal ops role. Yeah. We're going to meet so many of them this week, right? People who are here for the first time trying to navigate, where do I start? Obviously you have to start with what are the biggest pain points for my company? There are some pillars I think that most organizations need. CLM obviously being one, yeah. e-billing manner management. Yeah, those are to some be, big cores. And it's the challenge of kind of having a privacy team banging on your door for to solve what may be a very specific problem for them when you've got these kind of enterprise-wide challenges you're trying to grapple with as well. Yeah. And a limited budget, a limited number of resources. And I think that's something I think I'm seeing is maybe the community maturing and understanding you have to build the, the foundations first before moving on to those other projects. You know, I wonder about that, Alex. Do you? In a linear way, you're right. And I agree. But then if I make them wait... It's going to be a while before. And so what I'm seeing happen is all of it in parallel and practice area ops spin up and they get going on. I kind of describe it as harnessing the workflows from wild, wild west, manual, nothing, not even a tracker, just email and mm -hmm. someone raising their hand to wild west, to foundational, to trackers. Yep. And some basic workflowing using basic workflow tools like Google Forms or things yeah. that just kind of Airtables push it along. And practice area ops start the crawl walk mm. spectrum of automation. And then teams like what I'm on and I build are run fly. Yeah. That's how where we come in. And so you could do it in parallel mm -hmm. or some practice area ops might start earlier than my team started. But at some point there's going to be a nexus where there's the, how do you get from walk to run or walk, run, fly and practice area ops people. In some cases they'll know how to do it. Mm. Litigation ops people will know how to do that because they've just been cooking with tools for almost 20 years now. 
100%. You obviously have kind of specific functional areas like IP or litigation yes. where they have a fair amount of domain experience. Yes. They have a robust process for quite a period of time where they may have experience with tools like eDiscovery that they've been kind of managing themselves. I suppose some of it comes back to the scale of the legal function, yeah. the legal department. And that too. are we talking about a team of 20 privacy lawyers or? Yeah. I only know ridiculous scale. Yeah. Netflix is a big group. Cisco was a huge group and a huge company. Yeah. I had a nice little run at Spotify when I walked in and there were 50 or so in legal. I was like, oh, this is great. I could manage them tool wise, change wise with my non-dominant hand. We work with them now. They're they're a bit bigger than that. Yeah, well, they, I think they went up to like 100-ish, yeah. 120-ish. But you're right. And I think maybe... Certainly here at Clockamia, that's something you probably see a greater degree of variety between you have got some very, very large companies. You have the super scale and then you have have two, three people at a startup scale legal and then everything in between. I completely agree with what you said. Like, I think maybe it's slightly a generational thing as well, where in-house lawyers, maybe the next wave of in-house lawyers are more tech savvy and they are more capable of standing up a process themselves or getting to a certain point with something and want to do that rather than just living through their email and yeah. dealing with the kind of reactive chaos that can come from that. So I think you're right. They can get things to a point of reasonable clarity and maturity. And then legal ops can come in and, and yeah. put in something more robust. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. The kids coming through school now who will be in the workforce in 10 years, they know nothing but G Suite. Mm-hmm. They've learned through G Suite, through their schooling. And my wife's a writer who still falls back on the Microsoft Mm -hmm. suite a lot. And she's a teacher and was working with a kid and sent a child to Word doc. And he said, what the heck is this? (laughs) Like, what is this? And she's like, sorry, sorry, never mind. And they switched to Google Docs and worked there forevermore. When those people are lawyers one day, it's going to be interesting to see how change manageable. I had to be reprogrammed because I had spent like eight years working in a law firm just using oh. the office suite and oh, living in words. And, yeah. and then starting a, a technology business, I had to learn G Suite, but it is an incredibly powerful tool. And Wait, Alex, yeah. did you go to law school? Yeah. You are a recovering lawyer recovering also. Lawyer, yeah. I am three for three today. Everyone who's been on the podcast so far is a lawyer or a recovering lawyer. And each time I say, bless your heart, as we say in the American South, yes. bless your heart. Yeah. Wow. Were they all people based in Europe? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Caroline, the orange rag journalist now, mm-hmm. Carol Valencia legal designer influencer now. Yeah, that's oh wow. Okay. I don't think they're not even American recovering lawyers. It's also happening over here. But this is not to at all knock being a lawyer. I think there's something about a law degree that is like the gateway degree for in some ways because I don't know. That's my sense. You see a lot of people out there who are lawyers and there's probably a few things that say like I definitely always thought I wanted to be a lawyer growing up. It was a logical thing that I I went to law school. It's an undergrad degree here. It's postgrad like in the US. So people are just going straight out of high school into doing it. Um, I probably spent six or seven years in practice still thinking this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And then realizing there was this wave of transformation coming with technology that was going to hit the legal ecosystem and that was going to create a lot of opportunities. So I don't regret having done it. I think probably I wouldn't be here if I hadn't done it. 
But you have to kind of compensate for other skills you haven't developed, uh, as you said, like using uh, G Suite or Excel or or more analytical skills. It is a different training. I think in Europe specifically, interestingly, I definitely see a lot of legal ops professionals who have come from a legal background. It seems to be more common here. As in they were lawyers. They were lawyers. Yeah. Onya, obviously, it was was one as well. A lot of that. Um, Yeah. At VMware. So, but Anya can also and does also lead legal practice areas. Yes. So she's, yeah, she's wearing, which is a really great skill set to fall back on. Yeah. Not again, I'm not making light of it. Uh, yeah. My old manager, Steve Harmon, yes, Steve, yeah, yeah. being a lawyer, but also with an engineer brain, mm-hmm. allowed his career to grow to, yeah, legal ops mm-hmm. and. I think he had marketing legal, yeah. he had global export legal and another practice area. Yeah. So that's kind of cool mm. just to be able to run the gamut when you have. Yeah, and I have a certain degree of visibility into it because we have a lot of customers here in Europe as well as the US and certainly our European customers like Eric O'Donnell at Total or yes. Bennett who was at Santander or Amy Brookbanks at Arcada. They were reasonably senior lawyers that took on ownership of legal ops and I haven't fully bottomed out why it seems to be more prevalent in Europe. Yes. Uh, maybe it's just the role is still a little bit newer here. Yeah, newer forming. Yeah. Once upon a time in a newsletter I published at Netflix when I was in my monthly newsletter run, it was the August issue and I said, let me make this whole newsletter hacks. Mm-hmm. And I was watching the show Hacks on HBO, so I called it Stacks of Hacks. And it was just like how to do things faster inside G Suite because mm-hmm. there is so much functionality mm-hmm. in all of these products that you don't know about keyboard tricks, et cetera. And that switching from Microsoft to Google is one of the biggest tech shifts you can make in your career. It actually hurts your brain. Yeah. And you're nodding and smiling because yeah. it hurt your brain to undo that. And I wrote in the newsletter the five stages of grief from. Microsoft to Google. And I actually use the psychological framework written by psychologist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross on the stages of grief. And I brought in stage one, denial, stage two, anger, stage three, bargaining, stage four, depression, stage five, acceptance. And you'll see that each stage of grief has a Kardashian meme next to it or gif. And does this sound familiar to you, Alex? Stage one, denial. You're going to be overwhelmed. G Suite makes no sense. And the silent void of no new messages in Outlook is well, deafening. Well, I definitely had denial because I had kind of mandated in Bright Flag in the early days, we would use Word and the Microsoft yes. Suite. And then Kevin joined, Kevin Cohen, our chief customer officer. Yeah. Knew, and he's like, look, we have to move to G Suite. We and have, yeah, like I, half, I was an initial denial. Yeah. yeah, I definitely. So at the end of denial, I say, just hold on for your first 30 days. Stage two, anger. You have to check your email three times over. Gmail does not thread messages like Outlook and you're mad about it. Your head hurts because you're reading message threads backwards. New habits take 21 days in a row to become habitual. So give this stage another one to two months. The email threading was definitely the most frustrating. Oh my God, it's like you're upside down. Yeah, that I used to find a beautiful aspect of Outlook that I probably still miss a little bit. Yeah, see, and people who have cut their teeth in the Outlook threading built kind of to-do list productivity almost off of that. And so you are looking beyond me, missing the old days. You've reminded me, right? Yeah. (laughs) Which takes us to stage three, bargaining. 
if only you could be back in Outlook or making a PowerPoint instead of G slides, which seems like PowerPoint from 10 years ago. But also you start to wonder if fewer bells and whistles leads to clearer, more concise communication. It took me, I'd say, a full year to move from PowerPoint to G slides. Oh, wow. A year. I'd still be frustrated by there's something about presenting in PowerPoint, you can see your screen and the slides yeah. and your yeah. notes and you can't do that in G Slides. No, you can't. You can, but it t- you, need you have to- Two screens maybe, yeah. Two screens yeah, yeah. and run it a different way. So I wrote, expect to start bargaining by month three, but you said it kind of took you up to a year. Yeah. So there's some flexibility in there. And I said something like, also we'll onboard you into iManage. By this point, so you have some classical <laughs> productivity. That never happened. Yeah. Stage four- depression. Mm. You are squarely present in the Gmail environment. You've written a memo or even edited a contract in GDocs. Common questions in this stage. Who am I? Will this last forever? No. Another few weeks until stage five acceptance. You're a stunning colleague. You face challenges and change head on. You're willing to journey in search of new dimensions of self. You've climbed the legal tech equivalent of Everest. Now step up onto that stage and collaborate and all the Kardashians are stepping up onto stage. Full disclosure, I don't mark up contracts, obviously, anymore. <laughs> Our legal team does that. Yeah. Uh, so I use Google G Docs when we're just collaborating yes. on, on Docs internally. If I had to mark up a contract, I think I'd have to go back to Word. You'd go back to Word. I've seen miracles happen. I've yeah, seen the Netflix yeah. legal team, all types of folks, all ages, all generations, fully adapt. Wow. to bringing that thing inside and out okay. of G-Docs and embrace the speed of collaboration inside of a, a G-Doc in our environment. So I call these five stages of grief, timeline them. I said, give yourself at least three months to transcribe, six months to lock it in, and one plus years to grow to love it. That's yeah. my ask. Yeah, I'd, I'd say I'm overall, I would say I now love it and I'm probably- You love it. Four years in. And you're four years in. Using it, yeah. Okay. And one of the unforeseen, other unforeseen benefits of leaving law firm life and Microsoft sweep behind, I needed, used to need glasses. I was short-sighted, which only started when I started working in the law firm. Last year, I went after COVID, I went and got my eyes tested for the first time in like three and a half years. And I've gone back to 2020 vision. Come on. What do you attribute that to? The ophthalmologist said my eyes had just gone into a spasm (laughs) (laughs) at docs all day in a law firm. Yeah. So that reversed itself. Yeah. So that was definitely one of the biggest (laughs) pulses of leaving that life, marking up contracts all day behind. Yeah. Wow. That is really something that is really, I need to really take in what you just said that your eyes were degrading because of the volume of document work you were yeah like i used to have to like immerse a game go to the cinema or driving at night i'd need my glasses and i realized like i don't need these anymore what's going on yes it was weird yeah and now a brief message from our sponsor iCertis legal teams today are facing more challenges than ever before Turn those challenges into opportunities with iCertis. iCertis Contract Intelligence leverages market-leading AI and other advanced technologies to transform scattered contract data into insights and automation so you can work smarter, faster, and more efficiently. Empower your team to focus on what matters most to the business and drive legal transformation with iCertis. It's in your contract. Visit iCertis.com today. 
And now back to the podcast. Alex, do you think you'll ever run out of people to bring on your podcast? I mean, you interview in-house folks, Mm -hmm. you dive into their kind of past, present futures. I hope not. Like, I think it's a symptom of the legal ops community getting bigger. So I think there's plenty more people I haven't spoken to yet. Hopefully I'll get a few more recruits here. Yes. The other thing I've been spending a bit more time doing is speaking to GCs as well. I think that perspective is really important. Oh yeah, we need that perspective Uh, and they need our perspective. Yeah, I had Andrew Stevens on the GC of MongoDB recently and he was fascinating. And just somebody who was a full kind of supporter evangelist for the power of legal ops. And when he got the job as GC of MongoDB, that was just part of a strategy. And somebody here in Europe, Kurt McDaniels, who is the CLO at Ferring Pharmaceuticals. You might know Sheila Dassault, who's his sure. legal ops again. He's another person like that, who I think we were talking about this generational change. I think we are seeing these GCs come through who it's part of their strategy in, in taking yes. the job, which is great as well. I think for the companies that aren't there yet, not the necessarily the Netflix, but the kind of smaller sure. legal teams that are getting up to speed really quickly. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Last year at London's Clock Summit, I asked you in the hallway or on the exhibitor floor, what is the common thread that you see across your podcast? The common theme you see in all of us, if you could bake it down to one thing or boil it down to one thing. And you said, do you remember what you said to me? I remember. I may have said alignment with the GC. No. What did I say? You said refusal to stick with the status quo. He said, all of us are, it's almost like no two person's backgrounds were the same. Everyone's experience was so diverse and we're all these kooky problem solvers who don't like status quo and want to drive, you know, push this boulder up a hill, so to speak, is what you said. That has to be the case because you're not just coming in to kind of keep the trains running. No, no, we're, we're insane. We're here to to build new tracks into the unknown. And that just generates friction and can lead to challenging conversations and yes. disagreements with finance, with law firms, with in-house teams, where, yes. where there are always, as you're, the stages of <laughs> you went the stages through there, of you're going to have those people who will deny, who will resist, sure. who will try to stop you doing what needs to get done. So I think if you haven't got that personality type, I think it could be a really difficult job. But if you do... Yes. And you've got the backing of the GC, I think the sky's the limit. Yeah. So if you're looking to hire a legal ops role, find a rebel who doesn't like authority and is willing to challenge the status quo. So my question for you now in looking over your podcast mm-hmm. of all hundred episodes all time or the last year, is there a theme, a topical theme or something? What are we wrestling with the most? I mean, you talk to everyone. One of the things and it's maybe a little bit through the lens of my specialism at Bright Flag in terms of spend management, financial management. Mary Beth Blair, who leads legal operations at Coursera, said it to me. And Steph Lamoureux, who leads legal operations at Live Nation, reaffirmed it. And I think it's a common thread that's run through some of the most successful legal ops leaders I've spoken with. Their perception of themselves, you wear so many different hats, right? But yeah. their perception of themselves is they are the CFO of the legal department. That is their remit, that they are the ones where the GC wants to know, do I have budget for X, Y, and Z? The first call is to Mary Beth or to Steph to answer that question. They are the translator between the in-house lawyers, the GC, the finance team. They have complete control over 
the forecast, the budget, the process, yeah. ensuring the accuracy of the data, they're in a much better footing then. Like that has such a kind of cascading influence because once you're in that position, you have everybody's trust. You have a huge amount of credibility. That next project you want to take on next year, that next tool you want to implement, you can articulate the ROI and people are much more believing of your ability to kind of make decisions in the best interest of the department and do it within the kind of overall yeah. budget that you've got. So that to me was a term I hadn't heard before and it's describing legal ops, which has really stuck with me. Become the CFO of the legal department. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And that is not at all how I do legal ops. I'm the CTO of the legal department. And again, this is probably the beauty of the role, right? That like because of the hats, yeah, because yeah, of the many can, hats, yeah. you can pick yeah. and lean towards the ones that play well with yeah. your background, your strengths, your education. If you're MBA minded, if you're MFA minded, it's kind of cool how diverse it is. I do think one of the biggest problems we'll have as a profession is professionalizing so many hats because I, you really can only be good at one to three things in this life, let's yeah. face it. And you can't walk into your GC's office or leadership room and show them the competency wheel and go, I can do all of this. That is like one of my big warnings. That is definitely something I've observed is everybody who enters legal ops had a point of entry. They were managing the contracting process, e-discovery, yeah. financial management. They had a point of entry or an initial project they were kind of hired to own. And then they developed a kind of a level of understanding of other areas, but the most successful people probably had a strategic vision and then knew when they needed to hire or use other right. people to kind of drive certain things to kind of round out the skill set of the team to own something that they don't have the full depth of knowledge yes. the organization needs. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting knowing when to hire, if you're going to bloom and take on more of those hats inside the ops role, I do believe that to really ground it in legal ops, there's a financial yeah. component, outside counsel management component, some project management, some tech, some knowledge management. That's where I'm holding. That's, those are my four minimums for our field. And I'm trying to get all of us out of the business of planning legal deep dives. And I think or all hands. And I think we're not event planners. No, 100%. And I think you're right. I think there's so much variety to what legal ops can mean. And it's probably having a degree of self-awareness of what your strengths are and yeah. finding the role that best fits those because different organizations have different needs. If you're in hyper growth, you may not be as focused on financial control, you may be more focused on, we need to facilitate yeah. contracting to support this rapid scale and speed up the, the contracting process. And that might result in a slightly different profile of person you're going to pick, right? Yeah, exactly. My last question and thought of the day, Alex, is do you see how many legal ops podcasts there are and legal <laughs> tech or topical of both podcasts there are? There are a lot now. There are a lot now. Like maybe I lost count. Yeah. I can't even count them up. What do you think of the confluence of podcasts? I think many are kind of serving a specific area or niche or a, a particular geographic region or for a specific audience. So like, I think it's great because all it's doing is just building more awareness and finding that audience and sharing knowledge. As somebody already said to me, I was speaking to senior legal officer professional just before I came in here and, and she was saying why she comes every year and what she loves about it is people are so open and they're just willing to share. Yeah. It isn't like other areas of business where people are super secret about what they're doing or what yeah. they're not doing. And I think the podcasts are probably amplifying that and maybe 
democratizing things a little bit. Some people's travel budgets are still curtailed. They can't get to a conference like this, unfortunately. Yeah. And if it's giving them insight and, and helping them do their jobs and and that's great. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Well, it's exciting to see the confluence of all the podcasts and my dream podcast episode one day is to have you and I and like seven other ones sitting around a big table yeah. like this, all mic'd. That just, would be intense. Yeah, yeah. just be intense also. <laughs> like who would interview who even? I was on Mary's podcast the last few weeks ago. Yeah. And I Who I, interviewed who? Yeah, that was I was saying she was saying to me, she finds it way more unnerving asking the questions in the podcast where I was the other way around. I was like, oh, it's weird being on the receiving yeah. end of Oh yeah. So you'd rather ask. I'd rather ask. Mary would rather be interviewed. She's just like, I don't need to think about it. I can just yeah. Yeah. She's an she's a box of answers. That's yeah. why. Yeah. Yeah. I would rather ask also. I don't even know what happens when someone interviews me. I, I go into like a void. I, I black out. <laughs> it's like, uh, do you remember Will Ferrell and Old School yes. giving an answer to a question? Yeah, yeah that's me. Then? And then I, I come to yeah. a few minutes later, I'm like, yeah. did I even answer that? And who are you? Who, who am I speaking? <laughs> am I? Yeah. yeah. I was on legal ops, the legal ops podcast recently with Elliot and Alex. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. And they just asked me a question and I woke up an hour later, like, who are you? Who are we? And they ask tough questions. They don't pull their punches. No. Yeah. They go for the joke. They go for it. And then they pivot and yeah. they do this funny thing where they, I've heard that people prep for podcasts. I heard that's yeah. a thing out there. Haven't tried it yet, but yeah. they prep. So they get you in yeah. great thought that I did not pre-think. So I, you have to just answer yeah. in a raw way. Alex got me with a, he had a very specific question about generative AI. I think the last time I was speaking to him and I, yeah, I had to pause. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like, yeah. can I pause and Google yeah. that? Yeah. But uh, that would be fun. That would be fun. It'll happen at one of our upcoming conferences. But until then, I will just keep bombing your podcast if I see it. Are you going to be walking the floor? I'm going to walk the floor. Okay. Hopefully you'll be podcasting I'm down not there. I'm podcasting. The, I don't know why we're not. We actually really enjoyed it at Vegas, but we have a little bit less room here, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I yeah. Don't know, yeah well, and it's very condensed here. It's like yeah. in, we're in and out. Yeah. But I like the hotel. It's good venue. It's oh, good. good. I'm glad you like the Royal Lancaster. We worked yeah. hard to secure this over many years and a pandemic pandemic. Yes. Here we are. It feels like the P word is kind of in the, the rear view mirror now. Everyone's oh. relaxed, ready to have Well, I hope time. so. Yeah, COVID's yeah. going around right now. So watch out people. Mask again. I just went down for 21 days with COVID. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That so. knocks the stuffing. I got it in July, right? It was, yeah, it's not fun. Well, glad we pulled through. Alex, I'll yeah. be listening to In-House Outliers. See you out there. Thanks, Thanks for coming you. on. Great to be here. Thanks. That about wraps up this episode. Thank you, Alex, for coming on Clock Talk and sharing your perspective. You can catch this and other episodes of Clock Talk wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Until next time. <laughs>